Coming down here this evening, I had this thought to continue a little bit on the subject of the heart, and I had a few people come to me and tell me that they've really appreciated the messages on the heart, and I really think it's the mind of the Spirit of God, because God's Spirit knows what's going on in people's lives, and sometimes people ask me if I know who told me what's happening in their life, because I preached right at them, and I... I said, believe me, I have no idea what's going on. Oh, it's not even then. <laughs> when I had a really rough uh, something happen elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I thought I was going to have to change my whole life based on what had just transpired that day. Um, and that's when you sent a text and saying that I was on your heart. So. Yeah, God just, I mean, that's happened with other people. I'll just be thinking about people, and I'll be like, you know, i got to send them a text. I don't know why, it's just God, and... And I, you know, and I just send them a text, and it really is. And then there are times that people are on my heart, and I'll be thinking about them. This just happened recently, and I texted somebody, and I don't know why there was no external reasons that that would cause concern, but it's just weighing. This person is weighing on your heart. You're wondering how are they, and I, I texted them. They didn't text back, and a few days later they met with me and they told me that they were struggling with something that popped up from their past and you know we talked about it and he got through it and and uh, he's doing awesome you know and so it's just really like uh, you know like you can't you know that's supernatural stuff and I'm sure that people have popped into your minds you know you're praying for them and you tell them, hey, you know, I was praying for you. And they're like, that's amazing. I'm so glad you're praying for me because this, this is what happened to me this week, you know. And so it's just God, you know, loving people through you. But I was just thinking about the, the nature of the heart and how the heart, as we've been saying, is really the core of who we are, that core part of us. And really this whole semester... And as time goes on, I want to just continue to build up our curriculum in our Bible school and just hopefully, I mean, we're going to, not hopefully, but we are going to see some more teachers coming up in May. But, you know, the whole, the whole purpose of our Bible school here, whether how big or how small it is, is really that we would just be transformed into the image of Christ. And this is really the purpose of God in our lives. And um, the human heart, is really the core of who we are. And a lot of things don't happen in a person's life until our heart becomes established in grace and the core of who we are becomes established in God's mind. And so the Bible, the Bible tells us in, a few, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, um, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And this is really the core of all psychology and um, the core of all thinking that as a man is thinking in his heart um, is really that's the way um, we are going to be. And whatever is going on in the thought processes of our heart is really what we're going to become, isn't it? You know, there was a man who, and this is a true story, but there was a man, every day after work, he'd walk by a bank on the way to the, to the bus stop. And he'd look at that bank, and he'd think about that bank, and 
he thought, you know, I wonder if I would, if I was to, uh, you know, and he was just not even purposely thinking, but letting his mind drift, he was thinking, um, I wonder, you know, what it would take to rob that bank. And the verse that I'm quoting is um, Proverbs 23, verse 7, not 723, I got that, oh, 423, I got that backwards. It's Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so this man would every day walk by this bank, and he think he would think, I could, I could rob that place. And he would look at it, he'd see the guards, and, you know, it was a small bank. And, you know, after five or six years of every day walking by the bank after work, he found that he had a plan. And he got others involved, and what did he do? He robbed the bank. And... You know, a lot of things, before it becomes action in our, heart, in our lives, it, it is a thought in the heart. And that's why we have to guard our heart so much. And here's the point that I was thinking today, is that we as human beings want to do two things. We want to fix other people, and we want to fix ourselves. Okay? Do you ever think that way? i got to fix myself. i got to improve myself. i got to better myself. i got to... I got to change myself. How many have ever thought that way? Or maybe there's a sense of discontentment with our lives, like something's not right, or you know, I'm lacking in this area, or I'm, you know, I'm deficient in this area, or people tell you that, or you see that in your life. You just see that in your job or in your in your Christian life or in your family life. You feel that you're not enough, and uh, that can hit us sometimes. That we we really feel like I'm not enough. I'm not enough. For this job, I'm not enough for this position. I'm not enough for this, you know. And I think, as a Christian leader, or a missionary, or a mother, or a father, or uh, whoever we are, that's going to hit us. That's going to hit us. We're going to think, I'm, I, I don't have what it takes to be successful here in this job. And circumstances may reflect that to us, you know, like uh, we get fired, or we get yelled at, or we get, you know demoted or whatever, you know, and this thought comes to mind, yeah. Well, it's not wrong to think, like I always thought, I don't have what it takes to fix myself. When I wasn't going to church or anything like that, you know, it's like, whatever I thought I needed to do, you know, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's, a big, that's a big point right there, is it coming to that conclusion that I don't have what it takes to fix myself. And usually people either go down one of two, down one of two, two roads, either they go into absolute debauchery, and they just throw in the towel, and they just live, live like a devil. Or they go into this huge perfectionist program, which always ends in some kind of, you know, you have a high, high achiever who who is a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you know, high performance perfectionist, but secretly they just drink themselves to sleep every night. And you know, we all know that how that all goes in the world, and that. The problem is, the problem is, is that um, we can't change ourselves. And uh, this is a new, this is kind of a new um, trend these days because in the world, in the Christian world, in the leadership world, in the corporate world, in the whatever world, there's a lot of talk about improving yourself and bettering yourself, being a better person in the world of addiction or the world of uh, rehabilitation or, or these, these programs exist where people are 
encouraged to change themselves, to fix themselves, because we live in a society of, of fixing things. And it doesn't really take that long, and I think every generation faces this, but it doesn't take very long for us to realize that, as Paul did, Hundreds of years ago, two, two millennia ago, he said, I find within myself a law that that which I would want to do in Romans 7, I cannot do, and that those things I don't want to do, I do. And so Paul here is, is reflecting on something that really plagues us all as human beings. Uh, Pastor Stevens wrote an amazing book called uh, Forgive Me, I'm Human. And I, I was thinking today, I'm going to buy some copies. I'm going to make them available for us. Put them back there in our little stand. It's an old book, but it's a great book. And it was published by someone else, but it's very easy reading. And, um, and so we have this, uh, we have this phenomenon of, of change, you know, wanting to change and um, because sometimes people really feel bad about themselves. We feel bad about ourselves. We just feel like, you know, we have people that are breathing down our neck or that are maybe family members that are, um, uh, that are in some way uh, um, coming at us that we need to be like our other family members who are successful. And so we have this question of change. And so there's two words I want to look at tonight, and the first one is transformation, and the second one is confirmation, being conformed and being transformed. And one word is a positive word that we read in the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual transformation. The second word is a word that requires no supernatural miracle, but it's something that uh, people can do, but it only works on the exterior. And so I'll talk about that in a minute. But Human nature really is is t- to get away with as much as we can until we're caught. That's human nature. <laughs> you know, we're all like that. Kids are like that. We're all like that, you know. To do as much as we can, to get away with as much as we can until we get caught. And when we get exposed and pinned to the wall, then we confess and we change. But... Um, because human nature, we're just our nature is, is just to live the way it wants to live, right? In our own ideas, opinions, in our own wisdom. You know, I was talking with somebody a few days ago. We went out to eat, and and um, you know, they're they're growing, and they're kind of an interesting place in their life. And and I, I noticed that they were talking a lot, and they're just talking and talking and talking, incessantly talking, and um, you know. I, I'm not talking about you, anybody here, but, you know, when a person's living in their own energy and their own wisdom and their own effort in their, you know, to be what they want to be or to be a good Christian, they're, they're going to have a lot of anxiety in their soul. You know, they'll be very anxious and they're not going to have a lot of rest because it's really them that's working on getting all this to happen. And so they're just very, you know, loquacious, very, they were talking a lot, and I could see that there's not a lot of peace in their soul, and it dawned on me that at the end of the conversation, when we were going home in the car, I thought, you know, this guy needs to really get quiet before God, and just listen to God, and, and, and experience that inner transformation that can only come through 
coming to the end of ourself. And we hear this a lot, don't we? That, oh, this person that we can't really, they can't, they can't be helped because they haven't come to the, they haven't hit bottom yet. How many have ever heard that? They haven't hit rock bottom. It seems like a thing up here in Philly that it's not like I haven't ever heard that from in Maryland. It's like a thing here, like, which is a good thing when people, people, people recognize that, that until human nature comes to the end of itself, end of its own ideas, end of its own strength, end of its own pride, end of its own, you know, uh, reputation, then, then their transformation can't happen. We, and we have to come really to the, and you know what, that could be a long road. That could be like a really wrong, long road that, that, that we go down. And, and for Moses, it was 40 years. Moses was 40 years. I mean, this is one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. And he was on God's long-term program. See, God never gives up on people. You know, God, they may leave a church, they may go somewhere else, they may stop believing in God, but it doesn't mean that God's not working in their life anymore. God's going to continue to work. And Moses needed a transformation in his life as a man. He was very wealthy. He had a big name. He grew up in the Pharaoh's house. It was the, it was the most powerful culture in the world at that time, the courts of Egypt, the Pharaoh's courts. He had all knowledge and information and wisdom really at, a finger, at the fingertips. He had, he had unlimited access to the secrets and to all the wisdom of the world, and yet... He had no power over his own soul. He had no strength to, to, to keep him back from the anger that ended up in murdering a man. And God said, I'm going to have to take him out to the desert, and he's going to have to have 40 years of Bible college in the, in the desert. And 40 years of just intimate instruction and time alone and at that point when, in, in Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3, when, when Moses came to the end of himself, here he is, you know, the next Pharaoh. Now is just a dirty old shepherd with just a few sheep in the, some backside of the desert near, in Sinai somewhere. And he had married a local woman and he had a little family and he was done. You know, he was probably about 80 years old when, when that happened. And then God appeared to him and called him into the great work that God had for him. And he was transformed because he came to the end of his own devices and his own idea, and he had to surrender to God's grace, just surrender to God. And, you know, um, and so God's will is really for us to experience change in our life. God wants change in our life more than we want change, you know. The problem is, is that we try to do it ourselves, and and we get discouraged because we can only do limited external change. We can't really change the heart. And so Romans 8 verse 29 says this. It says, um, I want to read this to you. Romans 8 verse 29. We know that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's stop there for a second. What was God's eternal plan before we were ever born? It was that we would be, uh, and this word here is conformed in English, but actually should be uh, translated transformed. 
that we would be transformed into the image of God's Son. What is God's greatest desire for you and I today? That we would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And not that God would want us to be something that we did ourselves or something that to do some great thing for God, but God wants to deliver us from ourselves and from the bondages of the world, from the fears of the world, from the expectations of the world, and he wants to bring us into a place where we are transformed. We see this can only happen like Romans 12 verse 2 and Ephesians 4:23 through the renewing of our minds. And it all begins in the minds. It all begins there that um that the way we think and the way we process you know the the inner thoughts of our heart, the way we think about circumstances, our perception of who we are and other people, that is um, paramount in how things can change. Because transformation can only happen when there's been a transformation of the way I think about things. You know, our actions and our behavior may be slow to change, but don't get impatient with yourself. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Don't get angry at yourself. Don't you know, don't say I'm so disappointed in myself because that doesn't really do anything. Um, Esau sought repentance through many tears, but he never found it because his problem was is that there was an internal problem. And the problem was is that God wanted to transform him, but he would not surrender. He just would not surrender himself. And he would not surrender himself at the cross and say, you know what? God, I'm here. I'm not calling the shots anymore in my life. I'm not driving the car. I'm not uh, pushing all the buttons. I'm not here to have some amazing thing that I'm going to do for God. I'm not here to dictate the shot. I'm just here to say, God, I'm going to, I'm quieting myself before you and I'm surrendering to you at the burning bush like Moses did. And God says, now I can begin to work in your life. And I love these words in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so the will of God was that the disciples became fishermen, right? I mean, fishermen of men, like soul winners, apostles, evangelists. But they were not going to do that themselves. God was going to have to do that. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that we, we, see, we see the key there to transformation, just following Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds abstract. How does, what does that mean in a practical level? It just means that wherever Jesus Christ is being revealed in God's will in your life, that's, where we want to be, that's what we want to be pursuing. You know, if Christ is being revealed through the preaching of the Word, through Bible school, through, through ministry, through our little vision here of our you know, or our chapel in Hatboro. And that's where we want to be. That's where I want to be, because that's like where I want to be in tune with God and His revealing of His nature. And because there, because transformation happens when we start looking at Jesus Christ and get our eyes off of ourselves. As, as long as we're looking at ourselves and analyzing our, our situation and our failures and our difficulties and our troubles and are, you know, all of the things that we say about ourselves because we're so analytical or judgmental of ourselves, 
As long as we're doing that, there's, there's, no, there's not going to be any change. But when we, when we look away from ourselves and understand that Jesus paid for all of that, and that's not something that's really right now uh, occupying God's mind, and we look, at, we look at Jesus Christ, then that's when we experience the change. And this is what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this is a beautiful verse here. Um, and it talks about Israel being blinded to transformation. They were not experiencing as a nation that transformation because there was a veil over their face. And they could not understand this whole process of transformation and what was going on. And in verse 14, it says that their minds were blinded. And there are people today, there are Christians today, and Maybe we've experienced it at times in our life as a Christian where we find ourselves, we are blinded. And this blinding can happen when we are not looking at Jesus Christ. And um, all transformation happens when we start looking at Jesus Christ and taking our eyes off of ourselves. We are very self-centered people. We, we live with ourselves. You know, We are living inside of this body and we are very occupied with ourselves. We are self-conscious and self-aware. And there's a lot of things that are, that it's like we have this uh, ego gravitational pull where everything is being pulled into the, gra- into the center of ourselves. But we have to be delivered from ourselves and transformation begins when we look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes into the picture. And and like we said earlier, that we have to be brought to the end of ourselves. Maybe we get so disgusted with something in our life, and we're so absolutely sick and tired and disgusted of it, and we go to God and we say, God, I'm so sick and disgusted and just so tired of this and so angry about this, and I'm, I just, there's nothing I can do about it, and I just I surrender to you at the cross. That's step one of, of transformation, understanding that that there's nothing I can do to fix my life. You know, we live with each other. We live with, we work with people. And sometimes and a pastor can get into this and church, people working in the church. You know, you're exposed to people's weaknesses. The more you avail yourself to God's will in, 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 in the ministry and in the, in the body, if you're in a church that's moving in a direction, however great or small that is, over time, you're going to get exposed to more and more people's weaknesses and failures <laughs> and, and even leaders and even people that, you know, uh, you know, that have great influence in your life. You're going to be amazed like, wow, you know, and the temptation is going to be with all of our knowledge and information that we have about God and the godly lifestyle to try to fix people. You ever, you ever do that? Try to fix somebody? And it's so easy to do because, first of all, we get, dis- we, just get, we get disappointed with people. And we see their failure and we say, you know what, they always do that. They're doing it again. They always do this. And you know what, believe me, I, I'm not targeting anybody here. I'm just, because I'm, I'm saying this is the way it is with all of us as human beings, is that we can't fix people. And we can't fix ourselves. There's only one person in the universe that can do that, and that's Jesus Christ. And we got to look at Jesus Christ. We got to look at him in the Gospels. And I've been praying about starting a series in the life of Christ. Just talk about the life of Jesus. It's like, just go from, point, from the point he was born, 
maybe we can just start, you know, Christmas time, you know, about the birth of Christ and just start there and just go through his life maybe and just talk about his miracles and his message and his, you know, different aspects of the ministry of Christ. I'm just praying about how God would do this, but get Christ occupied, get occupied with Jesus Christ and his love and his miracles and his mission and his acceptance because at that point when that happens we read in verse 30 in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 it says but we all with an open face open face basically just means that we're looking at Jesus Christ and we're not ashamed you ever look at somebody and you know you've done something wrong and you're ashamed to look at them and you're not you don't have an open face it's just you know you're like you know I can't look up at that person but here, understanding the grace of God, we can look at God and understand that God doesn't judge me. God doesn't condemn me. God is not, God is not waiting to destroy me because all of my sin has been paid for, right? All of our sins have been paid for. And that's just such an important thing that we understand that, that, that many people today wander around in their lives spiritually because they don't understand that sin has been paid for. Everything has been paid for. And we can look at God and say, you know what, here I am in my big mess and looking at God with an open face. And it says here, beholding as in a glass. Now, what is a glass here? Glass here is really a different word for mirror. You know, we're looking at God and God is our mirror. You know, we're looking at God and he's mirroring back to us the glory of God. Do you know what I'm saying? When you look sometimes at a mirror, that and there are these mirrors that can... I don't know if you've ever seen them, but you look in these mirrors and they're, they're shaped in a certain way. You don't see it, but they actually enhance like your good features. They make you look whatever, thinner. And, really? Yeah, and they, I've seen them. And, I only know about the other kind. <laughs> the funny house mirrors that make you look really fat, that's not the one. But when we look at the mirror of God, the mirror of the Word of God, then what happens is, is that we're seeing the glory of God. What happens? We're changed into what? The same image. Isn't that amazing? Look at these words. But we all with an open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Here's the key right here. That when we look at the glory of God, when we look at his glory, what is the glory of God? Jesus Christ, right? But how was God's glory revealed to the human race? Through his powerful destruction of anger and punishment on on sinners? No, the glory of God was, and let's look at John chapter 1. I'll read it to you. I got my old, I got my old King James back. I've repented from all my other versions. I'm kidding. <laughs> I got my King James here. I'm enjoying it. John chapter 1, it says here that, that, uh, that God has declared himself to us. And in verse, um, 15, verse 16, of his fullness have we all received from grace to grace, grace from grace. If a law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and it continues on, the glory of the Lord revealed to us is what? If somebody was to ask you today, I don't see the glory of God, where's the glory of God? The glory of God was revealed as a baby in a manger. That's the big distraction from Christmas, by the way. You know, you go into these stores sometimes and you hear these songs and you... They never mention the name of Jesus. And of course, what do we expect? This is the world. We don't expect everybody to be doing that. But Christmas is like the most amazing revelation of the glory of God. And when we look at Jesus Christ, 
and we just focus on him and look away from all of our troubles, then transformation is going to begin from glory to glory. Why is it from glory to glory? Why isn't it just glory? Well, glory to glory, it, it, just, it, it infers or it, it, it characterizes a journey, doesn't it? From Philadelphia to Hatboro to Trenton, you know, from, from, uh, from Pennsylvania to Mississippi to California. It's like from this point to this point, from A to B, from A to Z, there's a, there's a journey there. His glory to our glory, like he gives us the glory. Yeah, it's from God's glory to, to yeah, and we get to, we get to behold that glory. Like right. he doesn't give his glory to sinners, but he allows us to experience that glory through Jesus Christ. And so we're going from one glorious experience to another level of glory, to another level. And it's just, and that's the rest of the way our life is going to be. It's going to be, you know, maybe a year ago or two years ago, I was only seeing this much of God's glory. But now I'm seeing this much, or maybe this much. And maybe, you know, in, in 20 years, I'm going to be seeing this amazing glory of God because of the journey. Because our eyes are on Jesus Christ and on his mission, on his truth. See, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? So there's three aspects about Christ. And number one, he is the way. And today it's like people don't want to talk absolutes. Like um, They don't want to talk that there's one way. There is only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And he is the truth. He is the absolute truth. And he is the... He is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. And so Jesus Christ is really what we want to be focusing on. What is Jesus doing today? Well, we see in the, in the Bible that God was hidden, and he could only be seen as a maybe a powerful God that was punishing Israel for its sins. And, but there were these select men like Moses and David and the prophets that discovered a secret about God, that a man could know God through surrender and grow in the, in the understanding of God's mind and, and learn how God thinks. And, and that's the way it is today, that, that we have this opportunity to know God. And So back to transformation. When we look at Jesus Christ and look away from our past, because sometimes the devil's going to be throwing your past at you through people, through old ways, sometimes you're going to, sometimes the old patterns of thinking, thinking are going to come back to you. You're going to be like, oh, I thought it was over that. But the devil's, you know, nothing's off limits for the devil. He's going to throw stuff at us that maybe we didn't think about for three or four years. And he's going to just throw stuff at us because he wants to take, he wants to get our eyes off of Jesus Christ. You know, if you're making a series of great decisions in your life, then don't, don't, be, don't be surprised. We can't be surprised, and I'm saying this to myself, we can't be surprised that the devil is just going to like, he's not just going to roll over and, and just sleep. He's going he's gonna to come after people. And, and we're, we're, not, we're not worried about that. We're not afraid of that because God has given us the victory. And don't be intimidated when that happens, but look, don't get distracted in your life from looking at Jesus Christ. And he'll use... The, he'll use the devil will use needs in our life to get us distracted from Jesus Christ. And he'll use things in our life that we feel that we need to get our eyes off of the amazing work of Jesus Christ in our life.
And so there's two words here that we began with, transform and conform. You know, confirmation, to be conformed, is a Greek word, and it's and let's go to let's go to Romans chapter twelve. You know, if you if you spend any time here, I know everybody's sneezing here. If you spend any time here, you're going to notice that sometimes we talk about the same verses where we refer to them, and these are like pillar verses. Romans chapter twelve, verse two. But be not conformed to this world. What's conformed mean? The Bible's telling us don't be conformed to this world. Being conformed means like, well, you know, how many of you have to wear a certain uniform at work or a certain uniformity or dress code or, you know, and uh, maybe if I work for the police department or if I am working at a restaurant, I have to have a certain kind of uniform and I have to really conform to that restaurants brands or their way of thinking or their the image that they want to portray and I went to a Greek restaurant the other day with Pasha Schaller and and it was after an elders meeting and every every time we have an elders meeting we like I like to go out and take Pasha Schaller out to eat we go to this little Greek simple Greek restaurant it's like Frank's up here but down there in Baltimore it's called Samos it's like Greek simple Greek place and you know, everybody's dressed a certain way there. And in the world, to be accepted and to be part of the system, uh, it wants conformity. It wants obedience. It wants, uh, it does not want any form of individuality that comes by knowing God. And, and so the Bible here says, don't be conformed to the world. You know, because the world says, you know what, if you conform to the world... If you can conform to this way or this system of thinking, you're going to feel value. You're going to feel loved. You know, there's something really nice when you are saying and agreeing with everybody's opinion about things. You know, and it's like, for example, um, have, you ever been in a, have you ever been in a conversation where someone says something? I'm just trying to think of it. And... And um, they say something like this. Uh, well, you know, this is what's expected of me. And, and then you say, well, of course, that's, a, that's, that's of course, it's expected. You know, that's, that's understandable. Of course, you got to do that because that's what's expected of you. And it's like we, we get into these conversations sometimes with people. And we're talking about... Things that I say I understand and that this person says that they understand, but we're totally off of God's mind. And for example, um, like, you know, maybe somebody has wronged us and then we say, well, you know, I can't just roll over and be the victim in this situation. I got rights too, right? And then we, you know, and then we hear somebody say that and we say, yeah, of course you got rights. You can't just... Let people take advantage of you. And we, we get into this kind of thinking. And that this is like a conformity to the way the world thinks. It's like, um, does God think that way? Does God think that we can't let people take advantage of us? Does God think that, um, you know, that we can't be unjustly victimized? 
and what I'm just saying is that, that the world has its way of communication and um, and expectations and you'll sometimes feel the demands from people and from the system and from the world to be a certain way to say a certain thing. Like, because if we don't, we're going to feel out of place, right? Like, God forbid that you take a stand and, and for truth in a certain area of, of your life in, with a group of people and then you become like, you know, you're just kind of, you're just the, the odd one in the crowd. Because the world demands conformity. And sometimes... We can feel that, that demand, can't we? Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we feel this demand from people that are close to us or family members or where we're working or our school or something. And we feel this demand that if I don't hit this certain level, if I don't say this this way, if I don't dress this way, or if I don't, you know, what do you mean your kids don't play sports? You know, it's like, well, I don't know what it is, you know. Well, everybody's sending their kids to play soccer. Like everybody says, like, do the right thing. Yeah, you, How about you start saying the right thing? Yeah, like, you got to do the right thing. Well, okay, but what's the, right thing? what's the right thing? And if we're thinking with a transformed mind, then we're thinking, okay, the right thing is God's mind. What does the Bible say? But if I'm being conformed to the world, then... Um, if the, this is what the world says, if it feels right, do it, right? That's the most dangerous statement in the planet. <laughs> Follow your heart. You've got to be honest. You've got to be true to yourself. Oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, that is so dangerous, that thinking right there. Because our heart, as we taught before, is desperately wicked, and it can take us down the road and, you know, and uh, our heart wanders and it has affections and, and it is seeking for that value, and, but it can only find its value when we give it to God. And so, don't be conformed to this world. And it says here, but, and I like that, there's, God doesn't just give a, a statement and without an alternative. He says, but be ye transformed. And what it means is, is that by the renewing of your mind, how does transformation begin in your life? Well, number one, looking at Jesus Christ, just gazing at him, looking at the amazing life of Christ. And sometimes I just like to read, I like to take a gospel like Mark. I like reading Book of Mark, by the way. It's a concise gospel that really amplifies the activities of Jesus. And I like to read the Book of Mark, you know, like read it. It's like, it's like a story, like an action story, you know, like this is an amazing story and just read it. And it's interesting. Try to read the book of Mark and see how many distractions come, you know, your way. Because the devil doesn't want us to focus on Jesus Christ. He wants us to focus on doing something for God or, you know, whatever. And so, number one, focus on Jesus Christ. Look away from yourself, like, like we discussed earlier, because we can't fix ourselves. Romans chapter 7 said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It's like, it's like Paul had a car wreck on a highway and he's sitting there and his car's not working it's he's like who is going to deliver me from this situation you ever break down on the highway <laughs> no phone this is before cell phones you know you just got your you know you're at the you're at the mercy of whoever comes down the road and it's like paul had a car wreck and he said who shall deliver me from this wretched wreck that i'm in you know and then he says, and he says in Romans chapter 7, and he starts talking about Jesus Christ. And this is what he says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
but be transformed. He doesn't say transform yourself. Okay, notice that. Because the world says, you know, take some pride in yourself. You know, get yourself together. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and buckle your belt and, and uh, get on the ball and just get out there and just make something of yourself and make yourself, you know, I remember the conversation my dad had. He wasn't saved and I wasn't saved. And it was at the time of life when dad talks to his son about reputation. He said, son, your reputation is very important. You ever have that conversation? Yeah, it was the first time I ever got really and seriously in trouble in school. It's like, you know, we can't transform ourselves, but the Bible says here, but be ye transformed. What does that mean? It means that another party, another person, another force, another action is acting upon you, which is causing a change. And that's what, this, that's what it says in the Greek grammar here. Be ye transformed. It's saying like, Yield to God and let God transform you out of, the, out of the problem. Because we can be very moral and we can be like, well, I'm such a mess and this is, I got this problem in my life. And, but you know, it's like the Bible says, be ye transformed. Like, don't transform yourself, but surrender and yield to God. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6. Yield to God. And I, I was not even awake this morning and I just this verse came to my mind in, in, uh, in um Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read it to you, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you wake up and God just starts, just starts talking to you, you know, point after point, and I just, these, these words came to my mind, and it's verse 13, Romans chapter 6, verse 13, neither yield your members or your body as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Isn't that amazing? Verse 14, for sin shall have no dominion over you. I like that. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Sometimes when temptation comes, we're having this conversation with ourselves, and we're like, well, you know, if I don't do that, then I'm just going to get beat up all day. I'm going to have this temptation all day. And we yield to temptation. But, you know, that's not God's mind. That's sin having dominion over us. Sin being a slave uh, driver, just jerking us around and saying, "Hey, you got to do this." You know, you got no other. You got no other alternatives. You got to do this. And this is what being conformed to the world does. The world says you got to do this. Sin says you got to obey the lusts of the flesh. But it says here, there's a way out, and the way out is looking at Jesus Christ and His grace and his mercy, and his love, and his power, and his plan. And you know what another big thing? His calling, his mission. And this is something I was thinking about later this afternoon. I was just sitting at my desk in my office thinking, in my house, just thinking, you know, we got a great mission. And I think so many people struggle with their lives and with change because they never get the, they never hear the voice of Christ calling us into great mission. Like, you know, I like to wake up in the morning and think, you know, I got a mission. I'm on a mission from God. You ever heard, who is that? Who said that? Those, the Blues Brothers. You know, all their, out of everything, all their movies, they got, at least they got that thing right. You know, we got a mission from God. I like that. I'm on a mission from God. I mean, I feel like that. I feel like I'm on a mission from God with my neighbors. I feel like I'm on a mission from God at my work, in my church. And, you know, I'm on a mission because... I got direction. I'm going somewhere. God's like, there's people that God wants me to talk to. There's people that God wants me to influence. 
there's people that, because I'm a new creation. Something's going on in my life. Something's like amazing. And people are starting to notice. Have you had, have, has anyone come to you and said, what's going on with you? You're like, are you you're different? Has that, has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's like, what is that? It's like, I remember in high school when I had this, just, you know, I gave my life to God and I didn't even know it, but I was radically changing. People started coming to me and they're like, what happened to you? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, no, what happened to you? Because there's an inner transformation. An inner transformation happens, number one, looking at Jesus Christ. Number two, I'm going to finish with this renewing of your mind. Our mind sometimes just gets in the, in the ditch, doesn't it? It just gets in the rut. We just get into these, you know, I was driving home the other day, and I was like, okay, I got, I got an attitude issue here. I've just got to get this, I got to get this corrected with God. So I just sat in my car and got this dealt with, with God. I just, God, we're just going to do business. We're going to deal with my attitude right now. Just, and I had to get, let God renew my mind into another level of thinking. And that comes with understanding that God loves me, that God is for us, that God has a plan for us, and that I'm not the same person as I was a month ago. And when we start thinking on another level with God, then our, uh, our external life begins to be transformed to what's happening on the inside. Because everything on the outside is, is, is absolutely, eventually going to con, um, line up with what's going on on the inside. Do you know what I'm saying? The most important part of our life is the inside life. This is the inner life. And whatever's going on in your life, just make sure you keep thinking right. Just make sure you keep, keep telling the truth in your heart about what God thinks about things. Whatever's going on in your life. Maybe you're in, you're, maybe you're in just in a ditch and, and, and just failure, you know, and you just feel like a piece of trash and, you know. But keep telling yourself truth because you know what's going to happen? Your external life, <clears throat> the outside, is going to eventually line up with what's happening on the inside. Because how many know what a gyro is? These gyros. Remember, you ever have a gyro when you were a kid? Like you pull the string and it starts spinning really fast. And, right? You ever have one of those? No? Gyroscope, yeah. So, you know, you put them on the end of it. You put them on the end of a pen. And it's going to, you know, in however you tilt it, it's not going to fall over. Why? Because there's that internal inertia, right? That internal speed, that internal rotation, that activity. And... When we have our thought life with God, it's going, to, it's going to affect the inertia and the balance of our life. It's going, to, um, it's going to keep us upright. You know, my brother and I, when we were kids, we had my dad always bought us these scientific toys, like gyros and stuff, and oh. gyroscopes. So, you know, we'd spin them and then throw them at each other. They were made out of metal. <laughs> they were made out of metal, and they was like, you know, they really hurt. But we were amazed that however, you know, we'd throw it, it always landed on the ground on its tip spinning, and it would never tip over until, until the spinning stopped. And that's like our life with God, that you know, as long as we're hearing from God and we're listening to God and we're quiet with God and we're allowing God to speak to us. I'm not speaking to God and telling everything I want to do, but it's like, God, I want to listen to you. You tell me what's on your mind. You know, like that's what I like, you know, um, you ever sit down with somebody and they're like, they're like, you know, what's on your mind? 
and you're like, wow, I'm free to say something here. And, and you begin to listen to them. And like we can say that to God, like, God, what is on your mind? And we open his word and God begins to speak to us. Well, as a matter of fact, since you're asking me, I'm concerned about this person or these people or this situation. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know that, you know, and we pray. And God begins to speak to us. We begin to open his word and we begin to read about the new creation in our life. And so being renewed in our minds, having a new thought process, um, having, uh, letting our thoughts be on things above and not on things below. You know, allowing God to quicken our minds to the word. And that's what Bible school is. That's what church is. That's what outreach is. And whatever, whenever we get together with each other and we, we 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 and we talk about you know we're talking about what God's doing in our lives and dreams and verses and things that God's doing miracles and what that does is it just quickens us doesn't it that's a spiritual quickening and it gets our mind out of the dirt the dirt and ditch and the rut and we begin to be changed from glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory and and so on and so forth and then we discover transformation and you know. Transformation, this is what one writer said, is not always easy, and it can be quite painful. God sometimes has to do a lot to cause this to happen. You know, Francis Fenelon said, uh, you yourself must endure the painful process of change. There's much more at work here than your instant maturity. God wants to build a relationship with you that is based on faith and trust and not on glamorous miracles. Because you know what, if we were, if our faith faith was only based on glamorous, um, um, how do they say that, flash in the pan or these these explosive miracles, then where would our faith stand? It would only be in those types of things. God wants to work in a in our in us in a faith and a trust. And so I'm going to finish with that 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 transformation begins with looking at Jesus Christ and looking away from ourselves and not being occupied with everything that's wrong with our life because and with everybody else's life. You know, some pastors can, can get into that. And I, I can, you know, um, uh, some pastors can really get up, get like lose their patience with people and they just get really bitter and frustrated. And, and they can either do one of two things, distance themselves from people and just be like preaching on Sunday and disappear, which a lot of pastors do. Or they can just get into the fix-it mode, like try to fix all their people. And that's what we can do with the ourselves and other, each other. But we got to understand that only God can fix us. And number two, having our minds renewed by the Word of God. The Word quickens the mind. And what does it say here in the last part of verse 2? That we might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. When our mind is renewed and we're quickened, then you know what happens? It happens. God's will is being done in our life. Maybe I don't know where I'm going to be in a year or what decisions I'm supposed to do, or maybe I don't know who I'm supposed to marry, or I don't know what I'm supposed to think, or what am I supposed to say in this situation. But you know something? If I, if I, if I present myself today a living sacrifice, then I'm going to, I'm going to God, God's going to show me what his will is. I don't have to try to figure all that out. I just say, God, here I am. I don't know. I'm presenting myself to you. Quicken me. And you know what God does? He begins to prove or he begins to work through us his will. And that's really how we discover God's will. Instead of trying to fix ourselves and fix other people, we just enjoy, you know, what God has done. I read this great quote today. I want to read it to you if I can just 
pull it up. Um, just give me a second. I really like this. It said, um, God does not accept me just as I am. He loves me despite how I am. He loves me just as Jesus is. Do you understand that? God doesn't accept me just as I am. Because I could just say, you know what? I'm a sinner. That's the way it is. God, you've got to live with that. That's not how... He doesn't accept us as a way. He loves me despite how I am. God loves us despite how we are. He loves me just as Jesus is. And that means that... That means that when he looks at our life, he's looking at Jesus Christ and he's not looking at us. And so... Just a few thoughts about transformation and how God transforms us. And You know, I'm one of these kind of people. I don't like to stay in the same place. I like to grow. I want to be a student. I want, to, I want you know, next year I want to be at another level with God. I want to be at another level in my personal life. and I want to be in another level in every way. I want to just see. And I don't know if that's because I'm a high achiever or what that is. But I'm not going to analyze myself because I don't, I don't even know. But I'm just one of these kind of people that does not just want to be content with the same old, same old. Do you ever have someone say that to you? How's it going? Same old, same old. I'm just like, okay, that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> like, what are we going to talk about, you know? It's like, I'm not the same old, same old. I'm being changed from glory to glory, from month to month, day to day, trial to trial, success to success, victory to victory, tragedy to tragedy, bill to bill, paycheck to paycheck, you know? However we, however we want to measure that. We're being changed from glory to glory. Amen? So that's going to be the last class of this semester for us. And um, our Wednesday nights, we're going to, I'd like to, next Wednesday is Christmas. So, um, Christmas huh? Christmas Eve. And uh, um, so we will be in touch about what our schedule is going to be. All right? So let's just close in prayer. And then we can just go with some comments or questions if you have any. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are changing us day by day in every way. And we're seeing that we're being becoming more and more like you. Lord, we just want to pray for our school here, our little class and our church, Lord. And again, we want to pray for this Saturday for the concert, just for a transformation to happen in people's lives. Lord, maybe in this simple class tonight, we could see transformation happening as we look to you and trust you for the change, not ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.